Hey, pal. What's going on, dude? Not much, man. We were just talking about your cat licking his own genitals. Yeah, I mean, just all of his shit. Not necessarily just the genitals. Yeah. Um, basically, been he been licking it all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know what? Sometimes, uh, I mean, if I was a cat, fuck it. Yep. Sometimes you can't really can't really help yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you gotta <laughs> lick your ass. You gotta lick your balls, yeah, your dick, yeah. um, the base of your tail. It's a big spot. It's where uh, it's where all the good lickings are. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, abs- <laughs> do I ever? Yeah, yeah, do, yeah. Listen, bud. If anybody's <laughs> licking the base of the tail on this podcast, it's me. Yeah, you better believe I know what you're talking about. Yeah, listen here, buckaroo. <laughs> uh, good, 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 good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's very nice. Sehr good, sehr good. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, so what's going on, dude? Um, hold on. Just making sure I didn't change anything here. Um, <clears throat> not a whole lot is going on. Uh, yeah. This is sort of an impromptu recording session, and uh, yep. I literally just got home. I worked, and it was crazy, and I ran my ass off. And thank um, you for your service. Yeah. Yeah, luckily yeah. I finished this earlier in the week. We were originally going to record tomorrow, which yep. is still in the past for the listeners. That's so. true. Yeah, yeah. So by the time you hear this, tomorrow will have been two days ago, three <laughs> days ago. Yeah. Um, time Even travel. more, depending on when you listen, which, yeah. you know, I, I guess you're free to do yeah. whenever. But, uh. but <laughs> listeners, uh, so today is Thursday for us, but tomorrow we will be seeing Dune in IMAX. Yes. And, uh, Unfortunately, it looked like we were going to have to immediately record this podcast after doing that. Yeah, which, I mean, I don't know. I thought could have been kind of fun, but it would have also been like... 11 o'clock at night. It would have been 11 o'clock at night, and any episode that we recorded would likely Mm -hmm. have been kind of silly. Yeah. You know, because we would have been just a little bit silly, just a tad silly. Yeah. So I'm glad that we're able to do it tonight. I didn't expect to get home as early as I'm home. So here we are, oh, sure. and we're going to do it, and we're going to talk about what? Uh, um, oh, shit. I didn't prepare for this. What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> the movie we... Anaconda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the movie Anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we are talking about the Son of Sam killings. That's for, cool. Um, uh, I, are you going to do a Halloween episode for your next one? It comes out on the 1st of November. I've done two. You've done two. I, I, I mean, I kind of almost did three because I did that cryptid episode. So, well, like, I mean, this is this is gonna be part one, so there will be more. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. I mean, my I next one's gonna come out on the first, to. right? So, like, why, why yeah. would I? I don't want to necessarily. I've got this episode about samurai shit that I've been working on. That's like right, really yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to keep doing Halloween episodes in November? Because here's the thing: it's like after Halloween, so. Yeah, no, I don't care. I mean, I will by the fact that uh, my next episode will also probably be Son of Sam. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not so. telling you not to do that. Well, thank you. But I'm going to probably not continue with the theme. Okay, so let yeah. the record show that Cameron is giving up. Okay. Uh, not giving up, just not going to continue to celebrate yeah. a holiday Sounds like you gave up. Past. Yeah. Sounds like that was a, an admission mm, of defeat. I'm going to I'm gonna look at it a little differently. Per usual, yeah. I'm going to view it a little differently than Losers you. often do. Yep, that's, I feel the same way. <laughs> and only one of us can be right, and we'll just know when we die. 
<laughs> I think that we've, you know, we've been friends long enough that I think yeah. it's safe to assume that neither one of us is coming out on top in this. Yeah, and we'll just fight until one of us dies. So- yeah, and then the other person will repent and say something nice at their funeral, and that will just be like as yeah. close as we ever come to reconciling our differences. Yeah, it would be cool if you know when I did die, I got a final tally though of like, you know, the win loss record all yeah. the time. When, so when you die, which will be first, I'll make sure that I put that up at your funeral, and I'll I'll probably be up by two or three, just by my reckoning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, see, I don't trust your reckoning. I'll call you know? your mom over and be like, "Hey, like, I don't want this to be offensive, but I do want you to understand that, like, had I been your son, um, we'd be talking about a winner right now." So. Yeah, yeah, just like the time <laughs> that you walked through her screen door. <laughs> I know, and I still think that. So okay, I mean, does she listen to the show still? I don't know. Who fucking knows? Okay, because my mom does. Uh, if you're listening, Linda, that was a long time ago, and it was an honest mistake. And yeah. uh, the fact that Has Evan he still been brings it up before this, I know the fact that Evan still brings it up like such a what I would consider a relatively minor faux pas. Let me put it to you this way: if you'd walk through my mom's screen door, yeah. we wouldn't have heard about this in a decade. So I just, you know, I I, I don't understand. I uh, I think we would have. No, I don't think so. I do. I guess I guess you're the authority. Like I guess you're the. I guess you know my mom best. Well, no, I no, I would be hearing it from you. I don't know about your. Mom. No, probably not. Yeah, I would. Dude, Evan, when do I bring up dumb shit you did in the past? That's not me. That's every time we hang out. No, it's not. I don't. I, no, I don't do that. I've got no. I do not have like a store of like dumb Evan stories that I bring up when we hang out. You know what I talk about. I talk about like Dumb shit that's going stars. on. Well, sure, I make fun of myself, and then you yeah. make fun of me, and we both just make yeah. fun of me. That's the no, dynamic. no, no. We make fun of me too. Listen, bud. Listen, no, fuck that. We make fun of me too. We both make. We we're both we're both bullied when we hang out. I don't think that's true. I mean, maybe that was true in like 2014, but I feel like that's not accurate in 2021. Listen, we're both losers. Yeah, no, I agree. Bu- <laughs> I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying I don't think that we bully each other on the same level anymore. I think that you still bully and I like when was the last I, time th- I called I, you a fucking idiot? Think about it. Really think uh, about it. That you called me a fucking idiot? Uh, not uh, not any time that back either in our texts after this. No, no, no. There's zero percent chance you're gonna find anything. And you've okay. called me you call me an idiot every day. It's yeah. just different. It's just different. It is not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> bully that's a bully ass thing to say it's not different now shut the fuck up and get on with the show you fucking idiot yeah fucking moron you fucking kitty's joining in now too he just called you a fucking idiot see you're raising a it's a bully raising a bully like father (laughs) like son unbelievable yeah he's sitting at my feet do you have an episode prepared or what are you just buying time here I don't know. I'm not. We're just riffing. What the fuck? You're riffing. What the fuck is this? <laughs> See, just, now you're bullying me. Fucking. I'm, oh, this is all bullshit. I'm all right. Not anyway. Bullying you. I'm not. Bu- I, I don't bully. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fucking. Oh, God. Okay. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, whatever. I guess we'll just fucking do the episode. No, that's then. okay. We don't, we, can, we can continue to riff. I don't have. I, I'm just actually mainly buying time because I I didn't know we were recording today. I was going to have a, a an ad for tomorrow, but I, That's right. I don't have an ad. So actually, you know what? No, we do have an ad. Um, oh, today's <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by Sammy String Beans Big Jeans. It's a, it's a store where uh, you can buy – it's not a big and tall store. It's just a tall <laughs> store. So Sammy String Beans, famously very tall but also very skinny, and his jeans, his famous big jeans – 
they're skinny jeans, but they're very tall for men seven feet and up. Uh, but they only go up to a size 22. So they're they're very exclusive. Uh, I can't personally wear them. I've tried. I felt really bad about myself. I don't know anybody. Actually, I've never met a person who can comfortably fit into a pair. But for those of you who are in the niche, like uh, if you were like a Lithuanian high school basketball star because you live next to a nuclear power plant and you were seven feet tall at 16, but also like 110 pounds, these are the jeans for you. Many such cases. Not many, but for those that exist, you can buy a pair of Sammy String Beans big jeans. And um, they're only $116 a pair, which is like pretty good if you consider the fact that they have to be made special uh, out of birch tree bark. So for those of you out there who fit the bill, please don't hesitate to call. Uh, they haven't actually, I just, it might sound improvisational. That's because I just decided that I want to try to get sponsored by them. So we don't have a promo code yet. Um, but I'm really hoping to work something out. So They can try one. Just try left on red or left on red. 15 or something i was thinking something different i was thinking that we do something like sammy string beans big jeans underscore left on red underscore two something like that for two percent off your order okay for, well we're, yeah we'll aim for two i don't expect us to get we'll settle at one but we'll aim for two yeah so anyway give sammy string beans a call um like i said if you are uh, approximately seven feet to eight feet tall and 120 to 150 pounds these are the jeans for you okay great yeah Yeah, great. So, so try that out. You might get two percent off. You might get one percent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just try a few numbers. See, see what they give you. You won't be disappointed. That's the point. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Great. Uh, well, thank you. Um, Sa- what was it again, Sammy? Sammy. Sammy String Beans. <laughs> Sammy, <laughs> Sammy String, String Beans. Beans Big Jeans. All right. Thank you, uh, Mister Mister uh, Big Jeans. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, anyway, uh, I guess uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's start the show. Sure. As I said, we were talking today about the Son of Sam, a mm-hmm. fairly famous uh, string of killings in New York City over uh, about a year-long uh, span. Now, I have been on record as saying that I hate true crime, and I do. <laughs> I don't consider this that. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, but well, no, it's crime. But I'm, you know, it's, you know, and it true is crime. True. <laughs> it's okay. Well, fuck. Well, you know. <laughs> You know, <laughs> generally speaking, I find I, I find true crime repellent and uh, profiting sure. off of the misery of other people, especially you know the the recent things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for this one, I think this is a so there's sort of like a mystery to it that I find very enthralling. You know, I'm really into sort of the entire sa- satanic panic craze that went on sure. in the United States, really with like the 70s and then especially the 80s. Um. You know, the 80s, especially with, like, uh, Tipper Gore and um, 
uh, Nancy Reagan going on like a crusade against you know popular music and whatnot. Oh yeah, with their whole like parental advisory board thing. <clears throat> yeah, all that shit. Yeah, and then you know I don't I don't know maybe younger people don't know this, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, people were always talking about oh well if you play this album backwards you'll hear like a satanic message and shit. Sure. People used to say that Kiss was uh, an acronym for Knights in Satan's Service. Oh my god! Remember when people <laughs> used to talk about Marilyn Manson having a rib removed so he could suck yeah, his own so, dick? Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's one that I remember. That and um, what was it? It was in Stairway to Heaven. There was supposed to be a part where if you played it backwards, you could hear yeah. Robert Plant be like, "My sweet Satan." Like, yeah. and you know i remember trying that um and it, i mean it kind of sounds like it but <laughs> yeah it kind of just sounds I mean, like I a guy judas talking priest, backwards judas priest got a lot of flack during that like uh yeah satanic message because like a couple of kids killed themselves and they happened to be judas priest fans and their parents were like that's gotta be it and it's like i don't know man i don't know man yeah. i don't know man but i'll tell you what i listen to judas priest I ain't killed myself. I, yeah. <laughs> maybe there was something going on with them that you weren't paying attention to. Yeah, but, know. Uh, you know, there's really, like, uh, for the amount of people that listen to Priest and the amount of people who kill themselves, probably not batting for a high percentage. Yeah. There's probably, it's probably, like, the same proportion as people that listen to, like, Demi Lovato. Like, it's probably not It's yeah. probably not some outlier number of, like, Priest fans yeah. versus fans of any other kind of music. Yeah. But, I but um, you know, so... Really with, like, the satanic panic and also, you know, kind of, like, in general, I think that there's very, like, just, it's very inherently American, that whole period in, like, the 60s and 70s. Sure. Where there was this, like, huge outbreak in, like, serial killings and kind of the uh, the fever that sort of gripped the nation. You know, this was, like, right after, like, you know, the 60s with, like, the Summer of Love in 1967 and everything. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like... In general, it really fits into this theme of this whole post-war America that I'm kind of, uh, that I've been kind of exploring. You know, just these various like weird unholy things that were unleashed after you know World War II that would just stalk the American countryside for decades after. Yeah. <clears throat> so with uh with that being said, let's um, uh, instead of going straight to New York City, I'd like to uh go to the Bay Area of California, in 1972. Uh, so it's been almost a decade since the Summer of Love had gripped San Francisco in countercultural ecstasy. So the young newlywed couple of Bruce and Arliss Perry are students at Stanford University, which is located in the Bay Area right near San Francisco. The two of them were originally from Bismarck, North Dakota, and both of them were deeply, deeply religious. And then on the Saturday night of October 12th, 1974, at around 11.30 p.m., they decided to get out of their campus apartment for a bit. Now, Arliss had wanted to leave to deposit some mail, and Bruce decided that he would go along with her as well. Bruce was majoring in medicine now as an undergraduate, and Arliss had just gotten a job part-time as a receptionist. They moved in together in September after Arliss had stayed in Bismarck an extra year when Bruce left for Stanford. Now, while their walk started off nice enough, they apparently got into an argument about the low air in their car tire and whose job it supposedly should have been to fix it. Hmm. Seems kind of trivial, but uh, it got bad enough, this argument, that at 11.40 p.m., when they got to the Memorial Church on campus, Arliss told Bruce to piss off and that she wanted to be alone. 
and he obliged and walked back from whence he came. At 11.50 p.m., Arliss entered the church. Now, the church would close at midnight, and there were two other worshippers inside. They got up to leave after a few minutes and looked back as Arliss was deep in prayer before leaving. Outside, a young man was spotted about to enter the building. He was dressed casually and had sandy-colored hair parted on the left with a medium build, royal blue shirt, and he was not wearing a watch. Huh. I don't really understand yet the watch part, but maybe it'll come up later. Well, in the time before smartphones, maybe like every yeah. man wore a watch or something. I don't fucking know. Yeah, but it was specifically pointed out that this young man wasn't wearing a watch. What a strange <laughs> young man. Mm. Now, uh, he appeared to be in his early to mid-twenties. So at 12.10, a few minutes later than his scheduled call, the security guard Steve Crawford showed up, called into the church where the stranger and Arliss were hidden, and received no answer as he warned that he was about to lock up. He did, and at this point the stranger had already grabbed Arliss and silenced her. Now Bruce got nervous around 12.15am and he made his way back to the church but found it locked and heard nothing inside. He began scouring the campus and then finally at 3am called campus security. They claimed at 2am that Crawford had checked the church again and checked all the doors claiming they were locked. Security claimed to have checked the church again after Bruce's call saying maybe his wife had fallen asleep in there. They did not check inside the church until 5.30 a.m., however, when Crawford noticed that a door on the right side was opened forcefully from the inside. In all likelihood, this was the only time he checked the doors after his initial visit, as once he went inside, he found Arliss's body and her time of death was fixed at around midnight. So he probably would have found it if he went in earlier. Mm -hmm. It was never told to the public, but her body was ritualistically murdered and put on display. An ice pick through her head caused her death, and then an altar candle was placed on her chest and another inside her vagina. Mm. Her body was placed into a particular diamond-shaped pattern with her clothing beneath a crucifix, and she'd been beaten and choked. Maybe a little late for this, but I guess at this point I'll warn people that it gets pretty graphic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a graphic one, I suppose. Uh, Well, you know, it's about killing. so... I guess, yeah. Yeah. If you're surprised, Uh, then... Whoops, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. So Bruce himself was nearly arrested when the police got to his apartment as he was covered in blood. Uh, He claimed it was a nosebleed and he passed a polygraph and the test confirmed that it was, at at the very least, not his wife's blood. Mm -hmm. So the police would go on to ignore a bunch of different pieces of evidence in the investigation as they believed it was the work of a sexual psychopath. Now, uh, during a memorial service for Arliss on the following Tuesday, one of these would come to light. One of Arliss's co-workers was shocked that the man that was Bruce Perry was not who he thought Bruce Perry was. On the day before Arliss's death, Friday, October 11th, a man in his early 20s who was athletic-looking and husky, wearing jeans and a plaid shirt, was 5'10 and had blondish, curly, regular-length hair, has visited Arliss at work, and the two had a, quote, serious and intense conversation. This co-worker assumed it was Bruce, as Arliss had only been on the West Coast for about a month at this point. This co-worker told the police, and they asked Bruce, and he said he had never visited her there, nor did the man sound familiar, and that it was usual for Arliss to keep things from him if she was if she thought it would upset him. This last point was confirmed five years later by Arliss's friends in Bismarck. Yeah, that's apparently <clears throat> a common trait for a lot of people. Yeah. 
<clears throat> now, questions remain about this man and if he had known Arliss before she got to Stanford, but police never followed up. However, the man clearly had decided to murder someone at the church, and mm-hmm. likely Arliss, as you know, ice picks weren't really something <laughs> kind of just laying around the church, right. you know? that's not like a part of the uh, traditional vestments or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, now I, raiseth the holy ice pick. <laughs> yeah, the ceremonial consecrated ice Consecrated in the blood of Christ. <laughs> the spirit the santi. <laughs> um, now, being as Arliss's excuse for leaving at 11.30 p.m. on a Saturday night was to drop off mail that wouldn't be picked up until Monday. Uh, It's uh, even possible she just used that as an excuse to meet him at the church, Uh, assuming these were the same man. That would also explain the bizarre argument out of nowhere about Mm -hmm. tire pressure. Right. That she didn't expect Bruce to follow her. Right, right. Yeah. So now, regardless, the police followed up on none of this as they were convinced it was a sexual psychopath, not some guy that, quote, wasn't a hippie freak. So recall San Francisco was ground zero for the summer of love in 67, after all, and was home to a massive community of people not well liked by law enforcement. It's damn you know. hippies. Yeah, they just thought uh, the city was crawling with a bunch of sexual deviants banging any and everything, <laughs> and that, that would I naturally mean, lead to them killing people in churches. That sounds about right. Yeah. Having been to San Francisco, I mean, it fits the bill. Never been. Now, uh, the police never mentioned that Arliss's personal possessions had been stolen from the murder scene like trophies. Uh, And even after they heard that her temporary grave marker was stolen from a grave in Bismarck, they still sat on it. Then Bruce Perry's uh, parents recounted the story they heard of Arliss maybe trying to convert some members of a satanic cult in a nearby town to Christianity with a friend. The ministry Arliss was in was called Young Life. And some of this information was corroborated, but not enough to follow up on. Just your friendly, like, neighborhood satanic cult. Yeah, <laughs> that part's just like, oh, yeah, you know, just like your standard satanic. Every, every town's got one. Yeah, just out canvassing for a bayall or something, you know? <clears throat> right. Now, <laughs> now, eventually, a handwritten clue would come out a few years later. Arliss Perry, hunted, stalked, and slain, followed to California. This would be scrolled across a page in a book about Satanism and removed from a New York prison. And thus, one of the opening salvos in America's satanic panic was fired. Hmm. Damn. So who, wait, so who's, are we going to find out whose book that was? Is that like a, just foreshadowing her? Yes, that was foreshadowing. Okay, cool. Well, then I won't <laughs> ask. Yeah. Because I was um, hearing that and I'm like, okay, well, who's, what? Whose book is that? Who's got the book? But if we're going to find out, then, I mean, golly. Yeah, it's a little narrative trick there. I suppose we'd better just be patient and then. Yeah, we better keep on, uh, keep on trucking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward to 
New York, 1977. Okay. And this it's was what, 1974? Yeah, that was 74. And now we're yeah. zapping forward? Okay. Yeah, now we're in 77. It's the summer, and the city is gripped in fear of the Son of Sam killings, along with municipal financial ruin, electricity blackouts, looting, and arson. Mm-hmm. So the first of the Son of Sam murders occurred on July 29th of 1976. But it took until March of 1977 for the police to realize they were dealing with connected killings. And by August of 77, the casualties were five dead and six wounded. At the time, the murderer was known as the 44 caliber killer, along with the son of Sam. Hmm. Now, New York City itself in the summer of 77 was pretty much just on fire. So after the fiscal crisis that began in 1975 and the blackout in July of 1977... The jails were overcrowded, and arson and looting were rampant in the boroughs of Queens and Brooklyn. So the city itself was just basically engulfed in flames. Mm-hmm. So by the one-year anniversary of the first killings, the police had been taunted in letters, and the city was in the throes of a frenzy. By that point, all the victims had long brown hair and were mainly of Italian-American descent, and so women across the city were cutting their hair short and buying wigs. People were turning each other in left and right. Sometimes just to get a loan, uh, just to get loan sharks off their back. Sometimes to get away from spurned lovers or to even settle a score. Vigilantes were beating up people they thought were the killer and themselves being arrested. Everything in that sweltering city, uh, New York City summer, was at a fever pitch. Psychics, numerologists, soothsayers, psychiatrists, magicians, and housewives from Queens were all finding their way into the investigation centered at Omega, the special command post of the 44 caliber killer's murders. Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. The killer's letters taunted the city. Who was he sending letters to? We'll get to that. Okay. Oh, man, all this foreshadowing. (laughs) Fucking fucking you up, dude. I guess so. Yeah. I like a nice uh, linear narrative. I'm just not used to this Tarantino-style time warp. Little vignettes popping back and forth. So the killings began on July 29th, 1976 in the Bronx, as Michael and Rose Loria were returning to their apartment at 1 a.m. They saw their neighbor, Jody Valente, double parked out front and talking to their daughter, Donna, both with long brown hair. The girls were 19 and 18, respectively. Across the street was a yellow compact, also double parked, and with a lone man in the front seat. A similar vehicle had been cruising the locale for hours, unbeknownst to them, but observed by the neighbors. The parents went upstairs to the apartment, and the man got out of the car and at 1.10 a.m. fired three shots into the car. Donna was killed into the car. So he got out of his car and fired shots into into their car. car. Yep. Gotcha. Donna was killed instantly. Jody was shot in the leg and crawled out of the car. The gunman gone. However, she got a description of the gunman. White, male, 30s, 5 foot 9, 160 pounds. Curly dark hair, mod style. Clean shaven, light complexion, wearing a blue polo shirt with white stripes and dark pants. The weapon was a 44 caliber bulldog revolver, a powerful gun from short range and uncommon in New York City. She did not recognize the killer. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> yep. So now on Saturday, October 23rd of 1976, at 1.15 a.m., Rosemary Keenan, 18, 
the daughter of a, of a New York police department detective, and called Denaro, 20, left a bar and rode to a dark residential area in Flushing, Queens. Again, one of the victims had long brown hair, but this was actually the dude, Denaro, who was about to join the Air Force and cut it all off. But Rosemary Keenan had short hair. They saw a solitary jogger run by and then nothing for a few minutes until 1.30 a.m. when the car windows exploded. Bullets were flying haphazardly throughout the car, completely missing the couple until one clipped Denaro in the back of his head. The gunman seemingly could not handle the recoil of the weapon. Hmm. Dazed and in shock, they drove back to the bar they came from where Denaro collapsed and was taken to the hospital covered in blood. He needed a metal plate put into his head. Keenan was unhurt, perhaps being mistaken for the man, while Denaro was shot at with his long hair. Again, the shots came from a 44 caliber handgun, but the slugs were too deformed to specify. Damn. And again, the case went nowhere, despite the attacks being so close together and so similar. Right. <clears throat> right, so nobody's connecting the dots and saying, oh, well, a bunch of people that look similar getting shot with 44 caliber slugs. Yeah. Which I guess, realistically, I mean, it's New York City. I'm sure it takes... A while for somebody to come to a conclusion yeah, like that. With all although, the... from what I understand, I think, at least at this point, they had one homicide unit for the whole city. You know, it wasn't, Jeez. like, divided yeah. by bureaus. So, all of it was being centralized from the beginning. Yeah. But, like you said, yeah, if it's all on paper, and I guess that second one wasn't really a homicide, I guess right. it makes sense, yeah. It was an attempted something or other. Yeah, attempted, yeah. Yeah. So, now, uh, let's fast forward a month. So it is Saturday, November 27th, again of 1976, and this is when the third attack would happen, once again in Queens, just like the second. Joanne Lomino, 18, and Donna Damasi, 16, were returning from Manhattan on a cold day when they got to Lomino's home and stood on the porch chatting for a few minutes, and then they saw a man in the streetlight walk onto the grass about eight feet from them. He was wearing a green, form-fitting, three-quarter length jacket like an army fatigue. He was slim, about 150 to 160 pounds, and about five foot eight. His hair was longish, straight parted, and dirty blonde. His eyes were dark brown. He feigned like he was lost and then fired at the girls. Joanne's spinal cord and lung were punctured, and Donna was struck as she lunged. It hit her in the neck but missed her spine. The remaining bullets went into the house as the girls fell into the bushes. The killer ran down the street, and a neighbor saw him with the gun in his left hand. Okay. Donna was able to recover after a few weeks, but Joanne became a paraplegic and lived in a wheelchair. That sucks. Yeah. It's way too young to have your life just stolen from you like that. I mean, nobody should ever have that happen, but... I mean, yeah, all of these people are really young. Yeah. The oldest is like 20. Ugh. Yeah. So all three attacks so far had no apparent motive, with none of the victims having anything in their past suggesting one. Again, with the second Queen's attack, the bullets were too deformed to help, much other than being from a forty-four caliber revolver. Both Queen's attacks had similar descriptions of the killer, with him being skinny, with long, straight, blonde hair parted on one side. This did not match the Bronx attack, where the man was described with a bushy perm, whose hair was dark and curly. He was also described as heavier set in the drawing, and the finished product looked nothing like the Queen's attacks. Hmm. <clears throat> Wait, which one was the Bronx attack? Did I miss that? I thought the these first were one. That was the first one. The, the, oh, the I'm two sorry. Girls okay. In the car. Got it. Got yep. it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I thought that was in Flushing Queens, but no, no, no. That's Jody and so Jody and Donna were in the Bronx, and then we've got Rosemary and Carl, and that's back in Flushing, and then we've got Joanne and Donna, different. Yeah, Donna. It, the one of the confusing things is that there are like multiple Donnas in the story. Yes, it's not, okay, yeah. must have been a popular. Also, yeah, it also, means I'm like a like a 
the female like lady like lord the female equivalent of lord in italian yeah. so that must yeah. have just been big yeah like domino yeah donna yeah, yeah uh so i'm literally about to also contradict myself i said the oldest was 20 well christine freund was 26 um what and uh, she's old enough yeah you're 26 then <laughs> you're old enough to die you're old enough to get murdered not a problem yeah all right so uh she was killed on the night of january 29th 1977 a freezing night in New York with the temperatures around 14 degrees Celsius, uh, 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, for our non-American listeners, that's negative 10 Celsius. Oh. So Christine was born in Austria. She was short, five foot two, and worked as a secretary. As with the rest, she had long brown hair. So Christine worked in the financial district in Manhattan and was dating John Deal. The two were about to announce their engagement. On the night in question, they went to see the original Rocky. The two had had a couple drinks after the movie, and they walked back to their car in the cold winter air. Waiting for the car to warm up, they were greeted by 44 caliber slugs crashing through the passenger's side window. Just before, they had passed a lone hitchhiker with an orange backpack, and neighbors saw a small green foreign car drop off a passenger with a suitcase at the train station. Christine was shot, but Deal was fine. He picked her up as she was covered in blood, but got no answer as he yelled her name and he ran out to get help. He got a couple to come to the car, but once they got there and he leaned in to check again, they left. He then yelled at a man entering the hotel across the street, and neighbors called the police. Finally, Deal got help by blocking traffic, but it was too late, and Christine Freund died in the hospital. She had been shot in the back and head. The police were able to identify the murder weapon as a forty-four caliber Charter Arms Bulldog revolver, but they did not link it to any other shootings. And so all all of these murders have been with the same caliber bullet so far right yes am i am i missing something they've all been 44 caliber okay 44 caliber revolvers Mm -hmm. yep however police were now leaning towards a connection between this shooting the two queens and one bronx shootings from the previous year although at this time it was thought there were multiple shooters due to the widely different police sketches this was also reported in the time in the news at the time in the newspapers So now with no real leads in the case, New York was heading towards the spring thaw on its way to the summer of 77. On the evening of March 8th, two teenage siblings were out for a jog when they noticed a man loitering near the spot of Christine Freund's shooting. The man had wavy, dark hair combed straight back, and his hands were in the pockets of his beige three-quarter length raincoat. He was approximately six feet tall and 175 pounds. He had been loitering for a while and scared multiple young women. He was spotted by the teens again later in their run before leaving this time it was 7 25 p.m and the man was walking towards dartmouth street okay so virginia voskarichian 19 was a bulgarian immigrant attending columbia walking home at 7 30 p.m on march 8th to her place on dartmouth street she passed a short youngish looking figure in a watch cap and sweater approaching her and then looked up as the person passed to see a gun in her face she was killed instantly when the forty-four caliber fired into her, into her head. The figure covered their face with their cap and ran by a startled man. The killer exclaimed, Oh Jesus! And the man got a brief look at their face. They were short, about five foot seven, stocky, clean-shaven, very young-looking, about 16 to 18, and wore a ski jacket and a cap that was brown or blue and striped. Okay. Just after this killing, the NYPD, short on funds and lacking confidence, came out and said a serial killer... One serial killer was gunning down women throughout the Bronx and Queens, and they were using a forty-four caliber revolver. 
They neglected the fact that there were many different descriptions of the killer, and completely different ones at that. Not reported to the public was that the slug removed from Virginia was a 44 caliber Charter Arms Bulldog revolver, like multiple of the other killings. The killings that weren't linked to a Charter Arms Bulldog were at least also from a 44 caliber revolver, but police had nothing to match them all to a single gun, Charter Arms Bulldog or not. The killings were obviously linked, but there was nothing suggesting one gun or gunman. Right. So the composites from the shootings indicated as many as three or even four killers. However, the police were now looking for the man with slick back curly hair who was around six feet tall, 25 to 30 years old, and 180 pounds, not the youth that was seen running from Virginia's murder. Yeah, right. They all seem to have, like, kind of different descriptions. Completely, yeah. Yeah. So they only wanted the short one for questioning. And so here's the thing. that You can, exp- you can explain that to a certain degree. Right, yeah. like obviously not everybody's going to see the exact same thing, especially in a stressful situation where they just saw something really violent or something really intense. But these yeah. are all like really different. Yeah, although there's constantly a stocky guy or like a like a heavy set dude with slick back curly hair who's right. taller, and there's a lot of the time also a somebody around five six five seven right. with long, like blonde hair parted to the side. Parted to the side and right. oftentimes looking disheveled. Like multiple people say that the curly slick back one, he's always clean shaven. He looks very like calm and collected. Sure. Um, like looks like a, one of the women says that she thought he was on a date. He looked so good. Huh. And then there's the other one who people say that they think is like a vagrant or a hippie. Interesting. So they, and this is even including there, they... from the same crime scene. People will say that <clears throat> they saw both of those people. Well, somebody will say, no, that's the person I saw. Is the hippie, and then right. somebody would say, "No, no, I saw this person who looked like he was on a date." And he so was it like, sounds like there's two people working in concert. At, v- at the very least, yeah. Yeah. On to the next ones. Uh, So Valentina Suriani, 19, would become the next victim of the killings. She had short brown hair and lived in the Bronx's Pelham Bay. Her boyfriend, Alexander Essau, 20, had long curly brown hair and appeared much younger. They had parked at 3 a.m. one night just four blocks from where Don Laurie was killed. That's the first one. And again, the killer fired a 44 caliber gun into the car and both were shot multiple times in the head. Valentina was already dead and Alex would die at the hospital. Jesus. Unlike the rest of the killings, though, an envelope was left at the scene addressed to Queen's Detective Captain Joseph Borelli. The papers now ran both composite sketches from the Virginia killing. The man in the beige raincoat was obviously David Berkowitz. You know, that's the uh, the taller guy around six feet tall mm-hmm. with a gut, slicked back, curly brown hair, or curly dark hair. He would be famously known as the Son of Sam. The other one was known only as Ski Cap. 
uh, and he was called a man, but based on the description, it's possible it was a woman. Interesting. Okay. And I don't know if you've ever looked at pictures of David Berkowitz, but there ain't no way that dude's yeah. a woman. No, no, no. Yeah, not a pretty man. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen David Berkowitz. Yeah. So He's a, he's a very, very mannish looking man. Yeah. So, now to the correspondence. So, in this letter, the police claimed uh, that the killer, and this is their words, lived in, quote, a nightmare world of blood-sucking vampires and Frankenstein monsters, uh, and also contained words, quote, in a Scottish accent. I'm about to read it to you. Mm. <laughs> Don't wait to come up with this shit. <laughs> in the phrase, too many heart attacks. Uh, the police were also led to believe the killer attended Catholic schools. Uh, again, it's bullshit, but I'll read it to you right now. Okay. Are you going to try to do uh, a Scottish accent? No, because I don't know where they're coming from with that. There's, like, literally one part where he says, like, one word with a Scottish oh, okay. accent. Um, so I'm going to read it to you, uh, including, like, the typos and stuff. Kind of like what you did with the Jack the Ripper ones. Sure. <clears throat> I am deeply hurt by your calling me a Wemon hater. <laughs> I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else. Program to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Ugh, me hoot it hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll she her soon. I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for papa. <laughs> that should Mr. be the name of this episode blood for papa that's really um, good yeah mr borelli sir i don't want to kill anymore no sir no more but i must honor thy father <laughs> i want to make love to the world i love people <laughs> i don't belong on earth return me to yahoos to the people of queens i love you and i want to wish all of you a happy easter May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh. You're in murder, Mr. <laughs> Monster. Oh, my God. <laughs> that just makes me think of a, a I'm Mr. Manager. Well, we, we, we yeah, just say we manager. Just call, we just say monster. So what do you want to do, Mr. Manager? I am Mr. Manager. We we, we just say manager, manager. Pat. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Dude, that's insane. I, I so I've actually read this letter. It's been a long yeah. time. But like I've read a little bit about these murders. Yeah. And um not 
a, a whole lot because I guess I wasn't aware that there was this uh, theory of like potentially like multiple perpetrators. Yeah. Um, I always just sort of took it at face value that like David Berkowitz, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he, I mean, he was clearly tapped. Like he was clearly. Well, no, he, so he would recant all the Son of Sam stuff. So like he went through a psychological profile and like doctor was like, this dude isn't crazy. And he, hmm. was, and he said, he was like, oh yeah, I made up all that stuff about the dog. And it would be years later where he would, uh, well, I don't want to give it away, but. No, yeah, well, let's just keep going with the episode. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, the I love that they say, oh, the letter's in a Scottish accent. There's like a four-word part where like you can yeah. maybe say it was Scottish. Mahoot. <laughs> and yeah. I, that's not even, I don't know what he was trying Ugh, to say. Mahoot it, Ertz, sunny boy. Like, the Sunny Boy, I guess, makes you think, but yeah, maybe me- he like saw that something like that in a movie or something because uh, that's like not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I tried to like when I was reading it, I tried to do it in a Scottish accent, even though I was like, I don't me hoop it hurts, like no, I think you did perfect. Me to Yahoo's, I'd like that. <laughs> Is Yahoo yeah. supposed to be like Yahweh or like Jesus? No, or... It's spelled Yahoo's like the search engine, right. <laughs> But is it I like a place? I I mean, I just yeah, is know. it Yahweh? Yeah, I don't know. Yeshua? I don't know. Anyway, um, so the police kept this letter to themselves, uh, although they did show it to the columnist Jimmy Breslin for the New York Daily News. Uh, and they kept uh, spinning their tires with psychological profiles from psychiatrists that were leading them nowhere. And then in May, the killer sent a letter to Breslin himself. And I'll read that here. Okay. Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of New York City, and from the ants that dwell in their cracks and feed on the dried blood of the dead that has seeped into these cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line to let you know that I appreciate your interest in these recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily, or I read your column daily, and I find it quite informative. Hmm. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? Ninth, you can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Loria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Oh my god. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather, I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night. Thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. Anxious to please Sam, I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Hmm. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see my handiwork at the next job. Remember Miss Loria. Thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation, 44. Hmm. Here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The 22 Disciples of Hell. John Wheaties. Rapist and suffocator of young girls. P.S. Uh, J.B., please inform all the detectives working the slaying to remain. Uh, P.S. J.B., please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck 
Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working on the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. Wow. And then on the back of the envelope, in the same professional style of block lettering, was written, Blood and Family Darkness and Death Absolute Depravity 44. Well, I mean, okay. That's a lot to unpack. <laughs> these letters are these letters are wild. Dude, they're fucking they're they're insane. Yeah. Like dude, yeah, they're, those they're... Nick <laughs> The Duke of Death. Dude, that, uh, that no, just my makes favorite me the is movie. just John Wheaties. <laughs> John Wheaties is pretty good. Yeah. Um The Duke of Death reminds me of you've never seen the movie Unforgiven, right? No. Clint Eastwood movie from like nineteen ninety. It's a fabulous no. movie. It's very good. I would argue it's like one of his best and like I don't know. There hasn't been anything as good as that since. Uh, but there's this whole riff where, you know, uh, this bounty hunter comes to town. And it's, yeah. um, gosh, what is his name? He's a classic actor. He played Albus Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potters. Oh, I don't, I don't John, know. It, is it John Hurd? No, 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 no. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, and he plays this guy who, like, goes by the Duke of Death. And there's yeah. this awesome, awesome, awesome um, Gene Hackman Gene Hackman's yeah. like the antagonist of the movie. And he goes off in this whole rant where he's like trying to read this guy's autobiography. And he's talking about how the, like all his stories are bullshit. And he's yeah. like, the duck of death. And no. the guy's like, well, it actually says Duke. And he's like, that's not what I see. I see <laughs> duck. The duck of death. And they go off on this whole thing. Anyway, it's I digress. It's a fabulous yeah. scene in a fabulous movie. Well, yeah. So there's also one of these, the Wicked King Wicker. Yes, which, which immediately is... made me think of the Wicker Man. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh no, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! I'm losing my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! <laughs> Sure. Which is a movie about, you know, druidic sacrifice. Yeah. I apparently wasn't the only one to think that uh, because uh, the second letter had sent shockwaves and uh, seemed professional with its use of graphics, including centering and hanging indentations. Hmm. Uh, it also included these four nicknames that we're talking about at the end and a strange symbol indicating the son of Sam. Uh, so among the things that spawned was the police screening the Scottish film, The Wicker Man. Sports depiction of druidic sacrifice. Wow. They're like, let's study the Wicker Man. We'll maybe figure out this case. Right. Maybe this is just some like disgruntled fan. Yeah. The oh, Wicked geez. King Wicker. Is, Wicked King Wicker. Is there? Is there like an album or something by I don't that know, name? Maybe. I just, it's a good it's, name, it's, dude. It's a great name, and it just dude, it's so really good. I mean, we should write a black metal song called Wicked King Wicker. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I swear I've heard that phrase somewhere. Maybe it's just from yeah. this, but yeah, maybe I don't know. I, f- I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, the it's really good. It's really Wicker. good though. Wicked I know, King dude. Wicker. Yeah, dude. Some of the shit in this is hysterical, legitimately hysterical in these notes, and then some of it's just like cool, like that. It's like well, it's like legitimately chilling. I feel yeah. like calling yourself Wicked King Wicker, unironically, and yeah. if you're like someone who has supposedly shot a bunch of people. Yeah, That's and then spooky. like one of your, uh, and then one of your, uh, your mates is just John Wheaties. This is the Wicked King Wicker, and this is John Wheaties. Yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, yep. let's continue. Let's see who we're dealing with. Yeah. So, 
Uh, the next attack occurred on June 25th after Judy Placido, 17, had spent a night dancing at the Elephus Discotheque in Queens. She met Salvatore Lupo, 20, and they danced and then went outside to wait in Lupo's friend's car. He was the bouncer. While there, they were attacked with a deluge of bullets. Judy was hit multiple times, but Lupo escaped with just a gash in his leg. He fled to the club, and Judy Days sat there for minutes before getting up and crawling into the street. A stocky white male in dark clothing was seen fleeing the scene, and another witness saw a well-dressed young man with sandy-colored hair and a mustache jump into hmm. a yellow or gold Chevy Nova type of car and leave the neighborhood with the lights out. Police, police believe this man had watched the shooting and fled in the same direction as the killer. But they kept this confidential. Well, okay, so they didn't think that that was the perpetrator. They thought he it fled was like, with uh, like a, Right, like someone who was yeah. there to just watch. Yeah. So a similar vehicle was across from Donna Loria's murder in the Bronx. Remember? Yellow mm -hmm. double-parked car. Yeah. And evidence of this type of car's presence at two more Son of Sam shootings would be uncovered later. Interesting. So leading up to the July 29th anniversary of Donna Loria's killing, David Berkowitz wrote a letter that he kept at his place. It would be suppressed for years. Okay. So right now, David Berkowitz, and we know that he's associated with this case, but yeah, the people involved—he's not like a suspect yet. Like the, nobody no, knows not, yeah. who he is. But we know right. that this was written by David Berkowitz. Yeah, it was found okay. in his apartment. Okay. <clears throat> this is a warning to all police agencies in the tri-state area. For your information, a satanic cult, devil worshippers, and practitioners, uh, practitioners of witchcraft. That has been established for quite some time has been instructed by their high command satan to begin to systematically kill and slaughter young girls or people of good health and clean blood they plan to kill at least 100 young women and men but mostly women as part of a satanic oh. ritual which involves the shedding of the victim's innocent blood warning the street shall be run with blood i david berkowitz have been chosen chosen since birth to be one of the executioners for the cult he who hath eyes let him see the dead victims he who hath ears, let him listen to what I say. Okay, so the Wemon typo is yeah. interesting. Yeah. and But that's the only typo. Maybe it's on purpose. And here's the thing. The rest of it, yeah, it seems better it's written well than spoken. a lot of the other... Yeah, it's, a lot of the other letters have like a sort of juvenile quality to them, right? Yeah. It, it, you're right. Like It does remind me of when we were talking about Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Because um, a lot of those letters were very clearly either written by someone who was relatively uneducated or intending yeah. to sound that way. Yes. And so like we talked about how some of those typos seemed kind of intentional. Like yeah. when you examine the context of like, you know, other parts of the letter where they make, mis they, they don't make mistakes that are often associated yeah. with some of those typos. Well, yeah. So and they also point out too, that it's like all artistically like indented with like these like crazy ornate like symbols and there's a lot of like interesting like sentence structure. Yeah, like it doesn't seem uneducated. Right. <sighs> yeah. Wow. I mean, it, except for that one typo, I think Lemon. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also it's kind of like I, I was laughing too because it's kind of like in Star Trek how the Ferengis pronounce human as humans. <laughs> <laughs> so kept, humans. Yeah. So I just kept fucking picturing Quark from DS Nine saying that or something. Why do you not believe in unrestricted capitalism, humans? Yeah. Yeah. These people, oh, they're backwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, now this this is where it gets tough. I'm going to read a lot from... So I have this book. Um, okay. Now, there's a lot of people that believe in this theory that uh, the crimes were perpetrated by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I've been reading this book by a, an investigative journalist, Maury Terry. 
uh, who is an unreliable narrator. He definitely, uh, he's very Christian. Um, okay. So he's definitely has a kind of like a, he has a horse in the race for the satanic stuff. Sure. And he clearly, he accidentally also found himself in the middle of the story. So he's kind of too close to it. Gotcha. And, like, it became like sort of like this passion that like drove him insane. Uh, Maury there Terry. are other people who like recognize this, but they still say, but like, yeah, this is very much more likely probably than the actual story. But so what I'm about to read right now, it's really in the weeds. Um, I'm going to read a lot from the book, uh, but you have to like really pay attention to all the moving parts because this okay. is by far the most information on any of these killings. Okay. All right. All right, well, yep. buckle up, listeners, because Evan's about yep. to send us through a through a maze. Yes, yeah, I had to read these parts, like, multiple times while I was writing. All right, so now this is um, July 30th. So uh, July 29th, the one-year anniversary that everybody was freaking out about, came and went with no issue. Okay. And then July 30th. David Berkowitz was edgy and yonkers. The, quote, nondescript postal worker, as he'd soon be labeled, was eight weeks past his 24th birthday. He stood about 5 foot 11 and weighed approximately 200 pounds. His eyes were steely blue and his hair was short, dark, and curled in a perm. He had lived in the tidy, top-floor apartment at 35 Pine Street for 15 months, since April 1976. To most who knew him, Berkowitz, outside of a brush with born-again Christianity that turned some people off, was a nice guy. Quiet, not pushy. A follower rather than a leader. Just one of the guys. An army veteran who was discharged in June 1974. He'd held a handful of jobs since returning to civilian life. He'd been a security guard, a construction worker, and a cab driver for the co-op city cab company in the Bronx, where he formerly lived. His life was different then. Dressing to go out, Berkowitz donned a short-sleeved grayish shirt, a pair of black half sneakers, blue jeans, and despite the searing July heat, a blue denim jacket. Mm. <clears throat> so passing up the elevator, as was his habit, he trotted down the seven flights of stairs to the lobby of 35 Pine, a newly refurbished high-rise building. Opening the glass door, he bounded up the front steps to street level and walked to his car, a 1970 four-door Ford Galaxy which was cream-colored with a black vinyl roof and black wall tires. The car, as it frequently was, was parked a block north and east on hilly Glenwood Ave. Hmm. So this is one year after the first killing. It's the night after the anniversary. So the events of the night began when Robert Violante and Stacy Moskowitz went out on a date together. They had met two days earlier and both were 20. Stacy was short and blonde-haired, Robert tall, dark-haired, and mustachioed. They went out for dinner in a movie in Brooklyn. Paula and Robert Barnes, which is not their real names, were a married couple in Brooklyn that had also gone out on the 30th in Brooklyn, and at some point, Paula had lost her bracelet. They found it at 17th Avenue Park, sat and talked in the car for a bit around 1 a.m. on the 31st, and then saw a yellow Volkswagen Beetle park and two people emerge from the car and walk into the park. Okay. So now again, I'm going to read right from the book. Okay. <clears throat> About 1.30 a.m. Dominic Spagnola, not his real name, 
parked on the south side of the Shore Parkway service road near where the Barneses had stopped, sees what he believes to be a 1972 yellow Volkswagen Beetle parked by the entrance to the playground. Mm -hmm. It has a black stripe above its running board and what Spagnola thinks are New York license plates. Robert Martin, not real name, another Brooklyn resident, is at this time driving west on the adjacent Belt Parkway. While passing the pedestrian footbridge opposite the park's entrance, he sees a man standing on the parkway's green belt near the overpass. The man appears to be trying to cross the parkway to the Esplanade near Gravesend Bay on the other side. He's wearing sunglasses, dungarees, and a white shirt, which is out of his trousers. He is carrying a brown paper bag, an item previously used by Son of Sam to conceal the forty-four Bulldog. Hmm. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Raymond, guess what, not the real names, <laughs> walking their dog on the service road near the overpass, notice a similar man by a hole in the fence, which separates the parkway greenbelt from the service road. Seeing the Raymonds looking at him, the man ducks back behind some shrubbery. Mr. and Mrs. Frank v uh, Vignotti, want to take a guess? Not the real Probably names. not the real names, yep. A young couple are parked a short distance east of the park's entrance, near the fence and overpass. While talking, they watch a man, coming from their left, walk off the parkway overpass, returning from the Gravesend Esplanade. He walks in front of the Vignotis and crosses the service road to the yellow VW. He approaches the driver's door and stops as if to open it, but he now notices them and decides to enter the playground instead. He is white, stocky, and short, about five foot seven, with dark, short-cropped hair. He's wearing huh. dungaree pants and a light-colored shirt, which is tucked into his trousers. The shirt's long sleeves are rolled up. His arms are well-defined and muscular. He has a golden tan. <clears throat> Damn. So. He sounds totally different than the other two guys we've been talking about this whole time. Yep. Or at least two. I'm trying to think. But, yeah. yeah. Who's this guy? Yeah. So, now let's fast-forward 15 minutes. Tommy Zaino, 19, is seated with his date... Debbie Costanza. Costanza's not a real name. Zaino is. Uh, so they're in a borrowed blue Corvette, which is parked adjacent to the fence opposite the playground, a short distance ahead of where the Vignotis were parked a few minutes earlier. Zaino, the co-owner of a Coney Island auto repair business, was formerly parked directly under the sodium street lamp near the overpass, but pulled forward two car lengths to a darker spot. It is his first date with the 17-year-old Debbie, and unlike some of the other couples in the lover's lane, they are simply talking. At about 1.45 a.m., Zaino hears the distinctive sound of a Volkswagen engine and notices a yellow roof roll by as the VW moves past him on the one-way service road. A few minutes later, Robert Violante and Stacy Moskowitz, returning after the movie and to stop at a disco, pull into the vacated space three car lengths behind Zaino and Debbie. They are in Zaino's former location under the street lamp. With the illumination from the light and the added effect of the full moon, the short parkway service road is almost as bright as day. So there's a lot of people around. And it's very and visible. This, and it's in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's not in Bronx, the Bronx. It's not in Queens. Gotcha. So David Berkowitz is on lookout when his car is ticketed in Brooklyn by a police officer. He notices and he reportedly runs back into the park to try and stop the planned shooting with his co-conspirators as he will be easily tracked and liable to be arrested since he will be ticketed near the shooting. So this basically what I'm saying now, it's all put together back after the fact by this investigative okay, reporter. Okay, so this isn't his claim. This is, or is it based on his testimony? It's based on Berkowitz's testimony okay. after the okay. fact. 
Gotcha. So years later, Berkowitz would recant his initial confession. Okay, but this is based on that initial and cor- confession. corroborate this, but it was before kind of all this stuff was painstakingly put together. Gotcha. Uh, so, but, so the this reporter, he was talking to all these people who were here, and he's putting together all of their kind of, um, their statements. Right. And figuring out what happened. to go back to the police ticket in cars and make sure they leave. He does and has a run-in with a woman and man parked blocking his exit, and they notice very clearly how he is dressed and how he looks. When he leaves the woman, she notices him following the police away from the park just minutes before the shooting. He's driving away from the park. Right. There is also another run-in by neighborhood girls with a yellow car. They don't say Volkswagen, but they say a yellow car and a man in sunglasses resembling the man seen at the Parkway overpass earlier. Uh, well, so that I said earlier, so this is before all of this is going on. So they say the make of the car is unknown to them. VWs are pretty well known. Mm-hmm. He follows them home and stares as they go into their house, but takes off. So this is two blocks west of Berkowitz's car and three okay. blocks north of where Violante and Stacy are parked. And the car kept pace with this uh, kept pace with this girl while heading to the park. So now let's fast forward to two thirty a.m. A man with dark curly hair. Quote, all messed up down over his forehead, that is a, quote, weird, grubby-looking hippie, is seen in the park by Violante and Stacy, and they only stay five minutes before going back to their car, where they had been for a while before briefly going into the park. Other people concur with the description and the time noted by the two. Crucially, his sleeves are rolled up, although that of a denim jacket or shirt, they think. Um, or like a denim shirt or, or a shirt, uh, but not a jacket. Okay. So he is completely disheveled-looking. They also say that they saw him leaning up against a building. The cops never released this. And when they asked later on David Berkowitz if he had seen them, he said, oh, yeah, I was sitting on a bench when I saw them. The cops never mentioned that he had gotten that bit of information wrong. So at about 2.33 a.m. This is so <clears throat> confusing. Yeah. <clears throat> so at 2.33 a.m., Another pedestrian positively identifies Berkowitz returning to the park, uh-huh. and this was confirmed with his car after just returning after following the police out. He hasn't been at the park for 20 minutes. 
Berkowitz's sleeves are noted specifically as being rolled down, and she and this woman thinks he is so put together that he must be on a date. Dressed nicely with his hair short and neatly combed, the woman notices something metallic hidden partially up his sleeve. Now Tommy Zaino, parked near the Violante car, notices a man about five foot seven. He specifically calls him short, stocky, with long, straight, messy, blondish hair covering his forehead. Zaino says it looks like a wig. This man walks up to the Violante car with Stacy and Robert are kissing, pulls a gun, and fires multiple shots into the car. Multiple cars with different partial license plates are seen speeding from the scene immediately after the shots, including the yellow Volkswagen, a man is, and a man is seen sprinting into a light-colored car and speeding away. The VW nearly collides with another car and then is chased by the person they nearly hit after running a red. The VW gets away and may have had a New Jersey license plate, but for sure the driver had a blue or denim shirt on with the sleeves rolled up and an unkept face and hair. His eyes were narrow and he had high cheekbones and a flat nose. This witness got a great look during the near collision and they followed him for a while. Mm. Now, David Berkowitz was seen uh, leaving the park during this time calmly, not running. And he confirmed that this was the path he used to leave the park. So a yellow car was seen fleeing. The VW was seen fleeing, and David Berkowitz was seen calmly walking to his car. Okay. <clears throat> so now the yellow car that wasn't the VW had their was flicking their headlights on and off, which um, could be like a trick to like see where the road is and then turn it off so people can't see your license sure. plate. <clears throat> and it was going a different way than the VW. So Robert and Stacy were both badly injured and shot in the head, but both were alive. However... All of the witnesses who saw the shooter, the man with the yellow VW, had a matching description, and it did not in any way, shape, or form match David Berkowitz, who was also seen at the scene by other witnesses. So again, they constantly say he has a flat nose. If you look at pictures of David Berkowitz, he's got a honker. Yep. You know, he's got like a big, like, hooked nose. Sure. Kind of like me. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> going to say it, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so while Berkowitz confessed to this attack, all parties agreed, unbeknownst to each other that Berkowitz was nowhere near the park until two minutes before the shooting when he got back. So like I said before, um, Violante, he would say that when they saw that man in the park, that he was leaning up against a building when they saw him. Right. So the police did not tell anybody that detail. And they asked David Berkowitz after he confessed, they said, so did you see the couple in the park? And he said, yes. And they said, where were you? And he said, oh, I was sitting on a bench. Huh. So he had that detail wrong, and that's kind of one of the things that you could say, like, I mean, maybe he misremembered, or maybe... Right, but that would be a weird thing to misremember. Yeah, if you're, like, about to kill these people, and you're, right. like, stalking them, you'd probably know right where you were. Yeah, I, like, I right, feel like I would. Like, I mean, fi- like, if you're getting ready to fucking do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, th- um, it's very strange. <clears throat> so, um, and yet, uh, you know... Berkowitz would claim that he was the man um, uh, that everyone had seen throughout the event, despite all the contradicting descriptions. So what appears to have happened is that Berkowitz was on lookout duty, saw his car get ticketed, rightfully noticed, uh, knew that like that would be immediately something that the sure. cops would be like, oh, look at who was ticketed, and that's a lead at least. He tried to go back and stop the shooting. The, uh, the shooter and potentially other lookouts overruled him, told him to make sure the cops leave the area, um, he does, and then returns to the park to give them the all clear uh, to you know to the shooter, who then flees in the VW. But none of this would come out until several years after the fact. 
so both Stacy and Robert survived the initial shooting and were transferred to the hospital under the careful watch of the resident neurosurgeons tending to the head wounds of both. It was confirmed that they were fired on by the 44 caliber bullet, but the police were hesitant to call it a Son of Sam attack until over an hour had passed from the time the shooting was reported. Robert Violante survived his surgery blinded in his destroyed left eye, but they were able to maintain some gray haze in his right, hmm. uh, although not optimistic he would see again. The newspapers ran stories and at the time seemed confused, like us, about the two yellow cars, but there were hints already of two cars fleeing the scene, both yellow, one of EW. The police at this time, though, were hammering nonstop about the yellow Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would not go through the tickets for an entire fucking week, and Berkowitz paid his the day after he received it and mailed it in. It was cashed on the 4th of August. So a map was found in a phone booth a few miles east of the attack at a gas station the next day. Apparently, the map had a 1 written right where the crime took place. And 1 a.m. just happens to be uh, when the yellow VW was seen arriving at the scene of the crime. Weird. Berkowitz would admit to being within two blocks of that very gas station the night of the attack. Now, Stacy Moskowitz died on August 1st. So, <clears throat> at this point, tensions had reached a fever pitch in New York City. Yeah. Unrest freaking out. Yeah, unrest had gripped 1977 New York City as vigilantes began attacking neighbors, violent mobs beat men they thought were the son of Sam, and political unrest marred the primary campaign of Mayor Abe Beam. (laughs) Nearly 200 cops laid off during the fiscal crisis that was already haunting New York City were rehired, and the task force ballooned in size. So as I said earlier, the city of New York in that summer was a madhouse. There was an infamous blackout of July 13th and 14th in Queens and Brooklyn that resulted in citywide looting and mysterious arson. This was on top of the madness over the killings and the severe financial crisis facing the city. So the city had run out of money in 1975, which led to prolonged financial issues issues that took years for the city to solve. Layoffs and wage freezes occurred citywide. By the time of the blackout, crime was rampant in the city, and many neighborhoods fell prey to destruction along with the looting. The prisons became overpopulated. People began to flee the city in droves. Fires were burning throughout the neighborhoods of Brooklyn and Queens. At one point, 25 fires were burning simultaneously in Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn. And 35 blocks of Broadway between Bushwick and Bed-Stuy were destroyed. People were driving cars up to stores, tying ropes to the grates in their cars, ripping them off, and then looting. Over a thousand fires in total occurred, 14 of them, multiple alarm, thousands arrested. The son of Sam was stalking a city that was tearing itself apart under the combined crises of the moment. Jesus. So Mrs. Davis, the woman who saw Berkowitz multiple times before the murder, called the police to tell them what she had seen and described Berkowitz and seeing something metal up his sleeve. The gun, uh, the, the cop did a demonstration asking if it was a gun <laughs> by doing the same thing. And she said, maybe, but this was recorded as a gun by the cop. However, Berkowitz's car was searched after his arrest and a metal flashlight was found, which could have been used as an all-clear signal in the part to the shooter. Davis was scared now that she would be a target of the killer since he saw her walking her dog and had gotten into a tiff with her early. They then began to search for the summonses that were written that night, as the cops ticketing cars either didn't recall or had lost the summons they wrote or something like that. Right. They never turned them in, and so no one knew what to make of Mrs. Davis's story. But since she saw Ford Galaxy get ticketed, they at most thought the man she saw was a potential witness. 
So an article on August 3rd stated that the various eyewitness testimonies of the shootings provided descriptions that have resulted in four different drawings by police artists of the killer. And these sketches, the suspect is a white male between 20 and 35 years old, whose height ranges from 5 feet 7 inches to 6 feet 2 inches, and who weighs anywhere from 150 to 220 pounds. The descriptions are so varied that the police are now considering that the, po- the possibility that the killer wears various disguises, including wigs and mustaches, and has intentionally gained weight to complicate further his identification. Jesus. Yeah. So shit is fucked in New York. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yep. <clears throat> so he heading like, towards... He, like, Christian bailed himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to, the to machinist to Batman begins. Right. But, like, <laughs> but, yeah. in reverse. Yeah. Um, so heading towards August 10th, the police were convinced the driver of the VW was the killer. And they basically combined the composite sketches into one, not really being the person anyone saw, as they were convinced that the killer wore a wig. This was, this was their story now. They were also convinced, being the driver of the VW, that the killer was skinnier and had a flat nose, not stocky like David Berkowitz with a pointed nose, which is what Mrs. Davis said she saw. Hmm. So the suspect was a mix of two men at this point. Another issue was that the VW driver had a light blue shirt with rolled up sleeves, not a denim jacket with rolled down sleeves. They came to the conclusion that the killer changed into and then out of the jacket rapidly during the assault. Hmm. Uh, they also said that the man with the gut, Berkowitz, had just stuffed the wig in the shirt in his shirt. So Berkowitz would say uh, would say he uh, he never had a wig, and then it became that he quote doused his hair with water to make it fall into his face. Uh, but the killer was seen before and after Davis with that hair, but not by her in the middle. So I don't know. His hair got wet and then immediately dried. I don't know. So all the witnesses were dumbfounded by the, each other's statements after the fact. Violante and Zeno claimed there was no way the killer had a jacket or neat hair like Berkowitz. Remember again that two people supposedly climbed out of the VW Beetle at 1 a.m. So police would become convinced that the car they were looking for was a VW Fastback after hypnotizing one of the witnesses, despite everyone saying Beetle. Maybe right. this was actually the second yellow car seen following people and fleeing. They also began receiving cryptic clues sent to the Moskowitz household about yellow cars and with partial license plates written on it that conformed with witness statements about the partial license plates they saw and remembered. The clues mentioned Son of Sam. They would never completely follow up on this. And then the tickets written the night of were found on August 9th, and the police released the final composite sketches, which looked like none of the people witnessed on July 30th and 31st and nothing like David Berkowitz. However, with the tickets found, he was soon to be discovered, too, and the walls start closing in on the nondescript postman from Yonkers, New York. The bloody view is bloody vile, bloody mouth and bloody mouth, bloody babies, bloody cry, bloody flowers, bloody die, bloody food is bloody mop, bloody drains are bloody fuck, colour scheme is bloody brown, evidently chicken down. The bloody pubs are bloody dogs, the bloody clubs are bloody fun, the bloody girls are bloody guys, the bloody murder in their eyes, the bloody rock got bloody staff, waiting for the bloody cap, bloody stay up, bloody home, bloody neighbour, bloody moan, keep the bloody racket down, this is bloody chicken sound. Damn. So, is this a cliffhanger? It's a cliffhanger. You're leaving us on a cliffhanger? Yeah. <laughs> Oof, that's juicy. Yep. So, okay, so this, this whole thing... It's kind of making my head swim because yeah, everything is too. so disparate. All of the accounts of these events are so disparate. And it's kind of unlike any other sort of high-profile murder that I've spent yeah. any time learning about, right? Like Zodiac, things like that, where it's like yeah, 
you know, despite the mystery involved, you can sort of state with a degree of confidence that it's one person doing this. Right. Yeah. I mean, the same is true of Jack the Ripper, right? Like we have yeah. this idea that, that there was a canon Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And I've always thought of the Son of Sam case the same way, but apparently yeah, not so. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say Zodiac because like with Zodiac, like if the letters didn't contain like um information that only the police right or the killer would know and that was each of the letters like i would almost think it was a hoax you know what i mean because right like, all of those killings are completely different yeah different mo's like yeah. even one of them he just shoots a <laughs> like a cab driver right there's like a shoot a and, random shooting there's a stabbing there's a yeah, yeah like he does and kind so of like i would almost think that it's possible that just like some uh imaginative newspaper writer decided to like connect a bunch of unconnected killings right but they do know information that nobody else knows. Right. There's there are a few defining characteristics of those letters yeah. that make them, and it's a, a similar thing I guess it can be said of Jack the Ripper, where like, yeah, there's only one letter that anyone has that they still think is possibly genuine, and the others are all yeah. pretty clearly you know forgeries, for that very reason, right? Like the newspaper yeah, yeah. just wanted to sensationalize things and make some money, wanted to sell yeah. issues, but there's that one letter. Mm-hmm. That has like an actual piece of like human organ meat in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's like he gives a couple of details, and it's the second yeah. one. It's the from hell yeah, it's letter. The from hell one. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the first one, the one that coins Jack the Ripper is like, yeah, probably a counterfeit. Yeah. Or, or, or I'm sorry, a, uh, whatever. I guess a counterfeit is fine. Um, yeah. It's a hoax. Yeah. Right. But then he clearly read that, adopted the name because he's like, oh, I like that. And, yeah. and there's at least one letter where it's like, oh, fuck, there is probably one guy out here killing these people. Yeah. Because this is human kidney meat in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I um, ugh, I want more. Yeah. What do I listen? What do our listeners do if they want more? Well, they're going to have to wait a couple weeks. Oh, jeez. Yep. Two oh, weeks. man. It's for us to... uh to learn about how the pieces start getting put together about all yeah. this is this a two-parter or a three-parter <sighs> I, honestly at this point i you mean don't i don't know yet at least two is that at least two it might fucking be four i don't know i have four to, i have to vet the rest of the information in this book it's a big fat book yeah and so like this this episode was mostly from this book i brought in some other stuff too sure like especially about the background of new york city and whatnot yeah uh, the books by the way is called the the ultimate evil by uh maury terry Right. In case anybody wants to read it. We talked um, about it. But Maury, the book is divided into two parts. This was the first half of the first part. Okay. So we're But I think that I think the second part is where it kind of goes off the rails, so I'm not really sure if it's information I want to use. Right. Because he So I think I think the said, first half is all of like his investigative stuff and the second half is when he like finds himself speculative. Yeah, it's when he finds himself in the middle. Well, I mean like so like as he's saying, he was in New York while this was going on. He was in Brooklyn right near that park where the the final killing went damn so yeah damn man well shit this is fascinating i can't wait to find out more yeah i'm like completely <laughs> this has changed my entire view of this case right because like yeah. i said i had like a cursory idea of it and always had just sort of heard the narrative that it's like and they caught him and it was david berkowitz and like well, yeah then he had that crazy oh my neighbor's dog told me to do it but then right. like a few years later he was like i was yeah i made that up yeah and then in the 90s he was like all right like he had like another born again moment and he was like i want to come clean and he would uh make some claims about what he was doing in the 70s and uh 
what was going on Interesting. You know, across the countryside with uh, him and his comrades. So, without knowing specifically where this is going, like I have this sort of inherent skepticism of that because it's like yeah. there's so many of these guys who like repeatedly like have their come to Jesus moment, you know? Yeah, except there's a lot of corroborating evidence for him. Right. Well, I guess I guess I'm just gonna have to wait to hear it. Yeah. Oh man. Well. Yeah. That was great. We'll be traveling back to Bismarck. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm a. Uh, Oh, man, I'm so tired. Like tonight was such yeah, a long. Yeah, a couple insane. times I was like, "Dude, is he like, about to fall asleep?" Yeah, no. I, yes, absolutely. And like, <laughs> I'm like stone cold sober and just yeah. worked my fucking ass off. And then yeah. came and said, "I went. I was back in the gym for the first time today." Yeah. Did oh, I that's that? right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like legitimately tired, like in a way that oh, I yeah. haven't. I've just been like a depressed boy, right? Like living yeah. the life of a depressed boy. Um, but so today I went back to the gym and then just worked like a psychotic shift at work. Yeah. And I came home and I'm like, all right, let's do it. And I yeah. literally I'm sitting here just like. Yeah, but about 20 I'm minutes in, you started doing that. And I'm I was like, all right, I got to like, pick up the pace. <laughs> oh, no, it's 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 yeah. fascinating. It's great. And I don't want you to be mad yeah. at me. Like, I'm just, oh, no, dude, I'm just care. fucking Dude, listen, bushed. I'm tired too, man. Yeah. I also lifted when I got out of work. Ugh. And I'm getting ba- I'm getting back up to the weight that I was before my injury. So You're trying to gain weight? What's that? You're trying to gain well, weight? I power lift. So I'm not really trying gotcha. to gain weight. I just power lift because right. it's fun. Yeah. But, um... I'd like to do some more of that in the future. Right now, I'm just trying to like not be so yeah. fat. <laughs> yeah, as I'm as I'm approaching 300 pounds to squat, and I have to do that 25 times before I do anything else. Yeah, 300 on my back. It's yeah. like, whew, my God! Like once you start every workout, you're like, damn! I just got to do this for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. That was kind of so. I mean, I had a lot of fun, and I was remembering how much fun we used to have because we used to live together in college, and then for a yeah. brief period of time, we did after that. And um, I really like it. And I don't know yeah. how I, like, lost sight of how much enjoyment I got out of it. I've been, like, really in my own head about going back to the gym. And I think part of it is that I'm, like, 31 and, I, you know, I've gotten kind of fat. And I'm just, like, you know, yeah. like, the, the things that people do to, like, talk themselves out of, you know, just yeah. getting fucking back in there. But I went in today with my roommate and it was great. Like, yeah. he's been going pretty regularly. And, you know, I've been out of the gym for years and yeah. have no real idea of what I'm doing. So I was kind of just like, all right, let's just see what he does, right? And see if that makes yeah. sense. And, you know, and today was leg day. So we were doing like leg presses and um, it was awesome. You know, I yeah. have way more of a belly than I used to when I would do those. And like, <laughs> that was really apparent. But at the same time, it's like, all right, fuck it. That's incentive. Let's let's lose yeah. this belly so these leg presses can be a little more comfortable. Um, and it was great, man. It was great. It was a yeah. really, really fun. It was a fun day. I'm like excited to. We're going back tomorrow morning, yeah. and um, let's just get swole, man. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, uh, you know, I had started doing strong lifts when I was like, I think like 24, because 23 I was still like into like bodybuilding, and then like around 24, that's when I was like, oh no, I just want a power lift. Yeah. So I do. Uh, it's pretty easy. I mean, I just have two days at the gym. It's day one, and then you have a day off. Then day two, day off. Then day one, day off. Right. And it's just. Every day you just squat to start off. Yeah. Um, and then day one you also bench press and bent over row, and then day two you also military press and deadlift. Yeah. And I, th- I throw in a few little uh, aesthetic things in there. But sure. Those are the main ones. It's fun as hell. I love it. I've always loved it. You know. I've, yeah. I'm I'm last... trying to focus a lot on um, chest and core because I want to get rid of this belly and and get rid of these oh, well, fucking titties. I yeah. Have, you make but... abs in the kitchen, not in the gym, though. No. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I just want a stronger core, like yeah, more yeah. for like making exercise easier. 
if that yeah. makes any sense. Like, yeah, no. um, and I'm already eating basically next to nothing. And what I do eat's pretty clean. Like I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm not worried about that. I've been pretty good, not by choice, just cause I don't <laughs> want to eat. So, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I digress. Anyway, Nobody yeah. cares about this shit. Yeah. This is yeah. awesome. I love this story and I'm really, really, really excited for part two. I can't wait to find out like what the fuck is going on with these people. Yeah. yeah. Introduce some more characters. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's what we need. I know. Dude. More <laughs> I'm characters. telling you, man. I, that, that part, that part with the last killing, I must have read that five fucking times. Yeah. Because I'm like, all right, I have to explain this to people. So I sure. need to have some kind of idea. Well, right. Yeah. There's got to be an explanation. Yeah. It's just very confusing, but um, it's yeah. I'm my eyes are crossed completely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so thanks for joining in once again, everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to all of our new listeners too, uh, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been another episode of Left Unread. I am Evan, joined as always by my co-host Cam, the sleepy boy. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> um, tired as all so get out today. I'll tell you that much. But yeah. this was a good one. It kept me awake. You know, yeah. if, if this had been a, if this had been a. Some story about like uh, some kind of I don't know like creeping black mold that uh, famously took the shape of the Lord and Savior Christ or something. You know I don't know That'd if I would have made swag. it. I just don't know if I would have made it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to help us out, uh, please tell people about us. Uh, first of all, rate and review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. That, that really helps us uh, get to new ears. Tell people about us. Tell your friends, your coworkers. Um, family members you know all of that we we really appreciate it because we spread by word of mouth so exclusively um yep so if you the more people you tell the more time that we can have to uh to do this and and create more content for you guys so sure but, uh, we really appreciate it um yeah anyway i think that that about does you got anything else to add <laughs> unfortunately no yeah no i'm about to go brush my teeth and Ugh, hit I'm the hay so, bro <laughs> so ready and then all tomorrow right, well, we're going to see dune I can't fucking wait. I know. It's going to be so good. And now I I don't have to do this after. All right, guys. As Evan said, thank you all. We love you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week. And uh, we'll see you next time for more Left Unread.
Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a promotion. Welcome aboard, Mr. Manager. Wow, a Mr. Manager. Well, manager. We, we would just say manager. And you can hire an employee if you need one. Do you think I need one? Don't look at me, Mr. Manager. Right, it's up to me now. I'm Mr. Manager. Manager, we, we, we just say... Uh, I know, but you just... It doesn't matter who.